Hi, I'm Mark Roderick. Coming up, energy and critical race theory takes center stage in the General Assembly. Dr. Fauci calls for local vaccine mandates and inflation surges in June. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Koo Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by Funding for the lightning round provided by NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. It's Front Row with Mark Rotterman. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Donna King, Editor-in-Chief of Carolina Journal, Morgan Jackson, Chief Political Strategist, Governor Roy Cooper, Jay Chaudhry, the Democratic Whip in the State Senate, and Nelson Dower, Senior Advisor to North Carolina Speaker House. Jay, why don't we begin this week with what transpired in General Assembly? So, yeah, Mark, uh, this week there were two issues of significance. First was the critical race theory bill that was heard, and second, there was a House energy bill that uh, that passed. Uh, first, during a press conference that Senator Berger held uh, this week, he announced, number one, that he was introducing a state constitutional amendment to ban affirmative action, and second, he revived legislation that would ban so-called critical race theory from the classrooms. Uh, at a Senate hearing, Democrats raised concerns about the fact that uh, there have been no concrete examples that have been shared. Uh, that there were concerns about the fact that the instruction and curriculum for critical race theory uh, had to be shared with the Department of Public Instruction before they're taught in the classroom. And lastly, that uh, any kind of these violations already falls as a violation for federal, as federal and state violations. Uh, Senator Berger and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who's leading his own task force on this, said that they will produce evidence of this in the coming weeks. Uh, this was only a bill that was heard in committee. There were no votes yet. I suspect that this will be an issue going into the 2022 election. Uh, and secondly, the House passed a comprehensive energy bill in a rare midnight session. Uh, the energy legislation that was shaped by Duke Energy and other stakeholders behind closed doors seeks to retire coal inefficient uh, coal-fired plant power plants, uh, reduce carbon uh, dioxide emissions, and keep power affordable and reliable. Uh, Democrats criticized the bill because uh, they believe that it relies too much on natural gas and not enough on re renewable energies. Uh, trade groups such as manufacturing industry have criticized the bill for taking away decision-making authority from the utility commissions. Uh, they believe it's going to drive up costs and drive the textile industry out of bill. Uh, it's a very lengthy energy bill. A lot of observers were surprised how quickly it passed uh, the bill. Um, there's clearly not enough votes for the bill to to uh, override the governor's veto, and Governor Cooper has made it clear that he'll veto the bill. Nelson, you have the floor. Well, on the energy matter, the General Assembly is the one who sets energy policy, not the Utilities Commission. They just adjudicate the cases, and of course the public staff is the one that, that is there on behalf of the consumers. Uh, this policy includes solar, natural gas, and nuclear, and as Jay mentioned, it gets rid of the coal-fired plants, lower, lowers carbon emissions, and ensures that we have reliable, 
cheap power well into the future. We certainly don't want the expensive power that you have in California and the rolling blackouts consistently. On uh, critical race theory, you know, that is simply one analytical tool to examine the interactions between race and power, and it's basically an academic fad. I mean, much like phrenology and social Darwinism was the craze among uh, the uh, uh, professorial elites. Uh, in November, California actually had a diversity referendum that failed by a wide margin. And that demonstrates that CRT-infused policies are unpopular even in a liberal majority-minority state. In North Carolina, is critical race theory being taught in the classroom? What's the governor's view? No, it's not. This is, listen, let's be clear about something, Mark. This is a manufactured issue. This is a manufactured issue for partisan gain. We've seen several different memos that were leaked from national conservative groups, from national Republican organizations, who say, who encourage lawmakers to take this issue on, get in between the teachers and their students because they think it's a way to elect more Republicans. And it, it's, it's not an issue. It is literally completely manufactured. It's, it is this year's, as Jay mentioned, this year's wedge issue. Uh, at the end of the day, the thing that frustrates me as we talk about this is Republicans in the General Assembly act like this is a crisis in education. At some point, I hope they will address actual funding crisis in education and teacher pay and things that actually affect students and their education. Don, to wrap this up in about 30 seconds, there is a lot of pushback around the country on critical race theory in the classroom. There is, and I'm hearing that argument a lot that they they're said that Democrats are saying that this is a manufactured crisis. Um, I think that's insulting. I think it's insulting to parents. It's insulting to people who have real concerns, particularly after they've been you know watching what their children are learning. And the issue is not critical race theory being taught as a theory in the classroom. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think we also need to be teaching 1776 and 1620 and the founding fathers and the greatest generation and World War One, World War Two, civil rights, everything you can think of. The problem is training the trainers to teach all of those things through the lens of critical race theory. That's what the objection is. Okay, I want to come right back to you. Great conversation. Dr. Fauci wants uh, mandates at the local level. Yes. Local government to mandate. Well, uh, that's something Dr. Fauci has said. Uh, he said that while right now the federal government is not creating mandates requiring vaccines, uh, not even for the military, which I think in the first instance they probably could, um, he says that it really needs to be a state and local vaccine, moving it down to the local authority to create these mandates for vaccines. Right now, I think you see some hesitancy at the local level because those vaccines are approved for emergency use right now. As they become approved by the FDA for broader use, you may see more mandates. The question is, how do you enforce that? North, uh, New York, California, they have these vaccine passports. North Carolina has a state certified vaccine card, and it may be opening the door, paving the way for perhaps a mandate. The problem, though, is, as critics of such a, a mandate and a passport or a, or a vaccination card say it can create a discriminatory uh, system between those who are vaccinated and those who choose not to be. So we've got a lot of ways to go, but we are seeing Dr. Fauci saying, you know, we need some more mandates. Let me ask you, Morgan, should it be mandated or should it be an individual choice in your view? Listen, I think it should be an individual choice. And I think Fauci, what Dr. Fauci is saying is there are large swaths of this country that either are vaccine hesitant or refusing to be vaccinated. What that is doing is putting everybody in danger. And how do you address that for public safety? You've got states that have 30% vaccination levels uh, and, and frankly are not moving up. You've got a lot, of, a lot of different general assemblies out there, a lot of different locals who are encouraging people not to get vaccinated across this country. And it's a mistake. And with the Delta variant on the rise, you know, North Carolina, by the way, had 1,000 cases yesterday positive, the most we've had in two months. You see a lot of these spikes. 
The good news in North Carolina is about 60% of North Carolinians over 18 are vaccinated. But guys, that leaves 40%. So think about it. If you go to Target or Walmart, right. over 50% of the people that you're going to run into have not been vaccinated. Jay, way in here. Um, yeah, Morgan's right. You got the Delta variant first, that's more contagious and more transmissible. Secondly, we've got vaccine hesitancy. Um, if we're gonna, if we're gonna rebuild the economy and deal with the economy long term. We've got to deal with the public health issue. I think some of the most compelling evidence right now has come from the ABC Collaboratory, which is a partnership between UNC and Duke, and they have stated that the most effective way to deal with the vaccines for our kids in school, as an example, is to wear a mask, especially when there's we see low vaccination well, the rates. The governor's going to lift the mask, uh, mask mandate, isn't he? There's a lot of discussion about it. CDC has now lifted the mask mandate and the governor and the HHS are reviewing that. Uh, this is an evolving situation. Has Fauci, you think, Nelson, lost street cred? I think he has. The government has sent mixed messages on this. They talk about possible side effects, vaccine passports, and they are causing uh, greater difficulties by calling for mandates. All you do is you exacerbate the distrust that's out there, and that's the wrong environment. The far better course of action would be to destigmatize the entire situation. Governments and businesses should not require vaccinations to go about their daily life, but what we should be doing is presenting the evidence and encouraging confidence in our COVID vaccines uh, and put all of these variants and things in perspective. Okay, down to wrap this up in about 20 seconds. No, I think that you know the next month, 30 days, is going to make a huge difference in how we really perceive this because at the end of the day, it's going to come down to what are these kids going to do when they get to school? Are they going to be required to wear a mask? Are they going to be required to have vaccines? What You're ages seeing, are they talking about? Um, we're really talking about, the, well, the biggest concern are those anybody under 12 who isn't vaccinated at all. I think that's the biggest thing that they're concerned about. Those who are over 12 have the option, the choice in their parents uh, to get the vaccine or not. Those may, you may see fewer mask requirements because of that. And some counties, some local school boards are already okay. taking that mantle up and deciding that they're going to make it optional. Okay, I want to talk about inflation. It's really surging. It is. This week, the Labor Department released the June inflation numbers. And again, consumer prices uh, rose higher than expectations at 5.4%. Uh, certainly the core inflation rate, uh, including or when you exclude food and energy, was at 4 0.5%, and that's the largest spike since September of 1991. So numerous economists, including the Fed chairman uh, Powell this week, said they see the bout of inflation as a temporary phenomenon, as a product of reopening supply chains, pent-up demand. Uh, but others, like Larry Summers, for, for example, do Who's fear... Larry Summers? That's right. Uh, is Larry Summers? He is the former Treasury Secretary under Clinton, was also an economic advisor under President Obama. And they fear that the increases in the Fed, Fed's balance sheet, which they continue to buy every, every month, as well as this massive government spending that continues to, to move forward, will cause lasting inflation. And here's the worry. For a low-wage worker, inflation in consumer goods is now rising faster than their wages. Okay. Jay, what happens when the sugar hive, the stimulus wears off, there's no more money coming in? Well, I, I mean, I think that the argument is that the stimulus is causing inflation, and I think it's important to peel back and look at the numbers in inflation. And uh, you know, Nelson mentioned one part, but I think the other part is if you take a, if you take away um, pandemic-related uh, services and the auto car and the autos and car 
parts of inflation, you're only looking at a 0.2% increase in inflation. So, I mean, I think, I think that's number one. And number two is uh, Donald Trump's appointed Federal Reserve Chair, Jerome Powell, said that the, that the inflation we're no, seeing right now is... He was with Obama is, is, first. He was with Obama first and then moved up the ladder. But, but right? he was, Let's he, be clear. Right, but he, was, uh, but, but he was kept on by President Trump, and he has said, um, as is Janet Yellen, uh, right. uh, President Biden's Treasury Secretary, that the, the inflation is viewed to be transitory right now. And so I think that I think some of the arguments we we're seeing I think are overinflated, no pun intended. But uh, but um, I think in the medium term, as Treasury Secretary Yellen talked about, I mean we'll we'll get back to uh, deal, inflation will come back and recede. Inflation recede a top tier issue, Morgan, in 2022 in the midterms. I don't know. Obviously, we're a lifetime away. You tracking that? Uh, yeah, but we're November 2022 is five lifetimes away from right now. I think. Yeah. Uh, they've both made some important point, points here. You got to, and I'll add a couple of other things. You got to remember is that if you look at history, what happens is inflation decreases at, at the beginning of a recession, and it always spikes at the end of a recession, which is where we have been post-COVID. I think Jay's exactly right. Look at the auto industry is a great example. Is you see used car inflation like 35 percent because nobody there are no used cars on the market. Same right. thing for appliances. Same thing for lumber. It is a supply and demand issue, and I think and supply chain issue. It, too. Yeah, correct. And, and and I think the Biden White House is following it closely. But you got to look at Wall Street and the Fed currently say this is a trend, this is a short term issue and that we will grow our way out of this. And but, but again, I think everybody's going to continue to follow it. Are you betting that we're going to grow, grow our way out of it? Yeah, I don't think we're. I don't think inflation is going to be around next year. How is this impacting your family budget? We're certainly seeing it, and I think that's one of the things that's important is regardless of how long it is, I think it's already a little bit longer than people were hoping it would be, um, but it's really, it, it hits the, the the poorest among us in the middle class the hardest because wages go down um, and and prices go up, but I think that's the, no, the the number we should really be looking at. Wages actually dropped in May. Uh, re, you know, Inflation went up, but wages dropped, and that's the number we really need to be watching as how those two mix together for family pocketbooks. Nelson, close this out. Final thoughts. We are experiencing massive government spending that we have never seen, not even in the, the heat of World War II. And all that flood of money, trillions and trillions of dollars, plus the Fed continuing to buy $120 billion worth of uh, mortgage-backed securities every right. month, it, it, you can't pump that much money into the economy and to think it's going to be transitory and, and over by December. Okay, I want to talk to Morgan. I think there was a very interesting result in the Democratic primary in New York City for mayor. Absolutely. So former, uh, current uh, Brooklyn borough president and former New York City police captain Eric Adams uh, has, knock on wood, uh, won the primary. And I'll talk about it in a minute why it's, nobody knows exactly what's going on. Uh, it's, it, there are a couple of big takeaways from this. First of all is he ran on reducing crime. This is in the most liberal city or one of the most liberal cities in the country. Democratic voters uh, rewarded the candidate who wanted to reduce violent crime. Uh, New York City's seen a spike we've seen during COVID in a lot of cities, spikes in violent crime. Uh, he also ran on, listen, we got to reform the police department. We got we to gotta invest more in the community, have more community engagement, more community investment. And I think a couple of my takeaways from this, uh, 
A, it's a blueprint for Democrats talking about big city. Uh, yeah, but it's a blueprint. It, it's, it's also a blueprint for Democrats running for Congress and for the United States Senate. Is you've got a, you've got a Democrat in the largest city in the country that can talk about violent crime and how to deal with violent crime and be warded by a very progressive, very liberal Democratic electorate. And so the other thing I think this does is it really sort of debunks the whole Republican attack of Democrats want to defund the police. But he you, did talk about defunding the police, didn't he? He said we shouldn't be talking about yeah, that. We ought to take no, that off the table, no, right? He, he doesn't want it in the Democratic playbook. Listen, as most all Democrats don't want it, and, and my point about why this debunks it is, again, look at how liberal okay. that electorate is, and they don't want to defund the police. And so it is a small, this is a small segment of the left and not real voters. Jay, is he a problem, is he a progressive... Uh, or is he uh, a pragmatic progressive? Oh, he's a he's a pragmatic progressive, and I think Morgan's absolutely right. I mean, I think number one, I think the election tells us that public safety is an urgent and top issue. I think number two, uh, it is the playbook because he talked one about the importance of supporting law enforcement, but two, talking about criminal justice reform, and three. I'll say, I'll say in, uh, in the North Carolina State Senate, you know, Senate Democrats have supported a bill, we've sponsored a bill called Supporting Law Enforcement that both invests in supporting law enforcement but also carries out a lot of the criminal justice reforms that Democrats have talked about. So you can do both and still be appealing uh, to the voters. Nelson, public safety on the ballot, <coughs> 2022. Absolutely, and it's going to be a critical issue. I mean, you just look at New York right now. In May, shootings were up. 73% over May of 2020, just a year over year. And I do think that Eric Adams is, does have a pragmatic streak. He is focusing on law enforcement. But look, this election was a huge major defeat for progressives on their home turf. And the, the proof is going to be in the pudding. And there are plenty of Democrats who still are pushing this defund the police agenda. Well, he's going to bring back to uh, Plain Coast Police, which uh, DeBasio shut down. Uh, Donna? I think so. I think that's one of the things that I saw most when I was reading some of the background on him. He said that he, he thought there was an improper deployment of officers. And I think that really speaks to community policing. And we're seeing more call for that. I think there was a move away from that for a long time in policing uh, neighborhoods and cities. Community policing, putting more cops on the street, more people um, in their neighborhoods, getting to know people. And hopefully that would be where he took uh, New York. I was just there this week and I found that there was a real missing, you did not see a police presence on the streets. Okay, I want to go to the most underreported story of the week, Donna. Yeah, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So um, one of my most underreported this week is that I read a statistic that 93,000 Americans have died in the last year in drug overdoses. And I think a lot of the reason we're seeing that is the opioid crisis. I think drug cartels are taking advantage of the crisis, the, the chaos At on the, the border. southern border. And we're seeing, you know, Chinese-made fentanyl, and they're really getting into the streets, and COVID has exacerbated that as people were at home. And so we lost almost 100,000 Americans in the last year to drug overdoses. Yeah, I think the cartel is flooding the zone. There's no question about it. I read something that said that uh, there's enough fentanyl in this country to kill every man, woman, and child right now. Underreported, my friend. Underreported is, we talked a little bit about 2022 elections earlier. Uh, they're already starting, and they're starting the battle for the suburbs. And the suburbs are gonna decide who controls Congress, uh, who controls the United States Senate. In 2022, you're seeing mail, digital ads, uh, different things dropping either- Targeted. Targeted, uh, either promoting Biden's <coughs> agenda 
or attacking Biden's agenda right now. And I would tell you, you know, the reason the suburbs are so important is Donald Trump won the suburbs in 2016. And in 2020, they left Trump in droves and Biden got 54% of the vote in the suburbs. It's why he's president of the United States right now. And so what we're seeing out there is you see Biden holding his own currently, which is a good thing for Democrats in 2022 because of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, because of the economic recovery and, and the progress we've made on pandemic. And I, I think you'd hear a lot of Republicans who would tell you off the record, they really wish Trump would stay out of the limelight as he, as he goes and does rallies and talks about stolen elections and they don't want him to be the issue. They don't want him to be the issue in praising people as great people who attack the Capitol because they love our country. That's not what this, that that kind of rhetoric. And if that's the focus for Republicans, the suburbs are going to stay blue in 2022. Underreported, Jay. Uh, there was a new Gallup poll that actually illustrated the massive gap in trust we have with institutions. There was a 45-point uh, split between Democrats and Republicans and how they view law enforcement, a 49-point split between how Democrats and Republicans uh, view the presidency. Not surprising, uh, more than half um, of Democrats trust uh, the media compared to, to, to Republicans and the same holds in public education. So it seems like in many ways uh, we're, we're living in different worlds. Well, we're self-segregating, right? Who watches Fox? Who watches MSNBC? Who watches CNN? And, and sorting by neighborhoods. There's a book called The Big Sort that talks about how neighborhoods self-sort themselves out too. Underreported, Nelson? South Africa's descent into violent chaos. You know, the country has been gripped by riotous mobs since July the 9th, and that's when ex-president uh, Jacob Zuma was jailed for contempt of court after he failed to show up for a corruption inquiry. So it's a mixture of Zuma's uh, ANC supporters as well as opportunists opportunist uh, who are basically creating uh, a wave of looting and rioting in the eastern provinces around Durban and Johannesburg. So hundreds of malls, factories, homes, gas stations have been looted and burned. Uh, as we speak, 117 people have been killed so far, 2,200 arrests have been made, but the government is not in control. So this situation remains chaotic and social order in that country is in the process of breaking down. We're seeing that in a number of countries. Has the Biden administration talked about this? They have talked about it very little, but I think the larger powers need to speak to this and need to be helping that government. There are a lot of critical materials. Is it underreported because of what's happening in Cuba, you think? I think it well could be. Plus, you know, the United States is focused very much internally now uh, with itself. Uh, as opposed to looking outward at what's going on in the world. Okay, let's go to lightning round, Donna. Who's up and who's down this week? Up, I have to say, North Carolina's business climate. CNBC did a study uh, recently, and they ranked North Carolina number two in uh, of all the states in business climate, I think it largely due to our, our current tax code, and I think that um, we're going to see more of that coming. Okay. My down, uh, free speech on campus. There's a student group on UNC campus that is calling to bring back the speaker ban in the 1960s. It was originally designed to prevent communist speech on campus, and now they want to use it to prevent what they say is white supremacist speech. Normally, it uh, affects uh, conservative speakers. Morgan, up and down, please. So, if I'm a, a similar daughter, so Raleigh Durham this week was ranked second for the, for the second year in a row as the best place uh, in the United States to live, which is a really great thing and brings people here. But as part of that, 
Wildlife clearly thinks Raleigh Durham is the best place to live. <laughs> you know, we had we had this half wit and his family that had the forty venomous snakes and the in the spitting cobra. Then we've got wolf dog hybrids running around in the triangle, and now we got a bear hanging I out. I want to assure you, they're not conservatives. Uh, but, now, but now we got a bear hanging out in, at Rex Hospital. It's like, what in the world is going on, people? So down, I will say uh, Tennessee. So Tennessee this week, the Tennessee Department of Health walked back their recommendation and any communication with teens about the COVID vaccine under pressure from Republicans in their General Assembly. But the, the bigger issue is not only that, but they said you can't communicate with teens about a flu vaccine or HPV vaccine. Okay. So I'll tell you, pro tip, no travel to Tennessee this year, y'all. Up and down, please. Uh, up is the Statue of Liberty, a replica of the Statue of Liberty was unveiled at the French ambassador's home in uh, Washington, D.C. France gave us the Statue of Liberty in 1885. Uh, so this is Washington's own Statue of Liberty. We don't need to travel to New York anymore from North Carolina and go to Washington, D.C. And uh, who's down? Uh, somewhat to what Morgan said, literally the black bear came down from Rex Hospital, right? And uh, the Wildlife Resource Commission biologist said that if the bear bear wanted to get out get out of town as, as much as the people in Raleigh wanted it, out of town, so the black bear is down. Up and down, Nelson. Krispy Kreme to the rescue. Uh, who's <laughs> up? Uh, Italy and soccer. The Italian team defeated uh, England to win the much-delayed Euro 2020 championship. But in politics, right-of-center parties are up in Italy, especially among young Italians, where a majority now support the right. Uh, who's down? The Cuban government. Uh, with rolling blackouts, shortages in food, medicine, gasoline, thousands are taking to the streets in Havana and all across the country expressing anger at the communist government. The Internet was shut off by the government. Protesters are being arrested, but this uprising has staying power. Will the Biden administration lift the Trump embargo? I hope they do not. I hope they keep the pressure on. We need that government change. There's no freedom there. Donna, headline next week. I think next week we're going to be all talking about Mark Robinson's uh, facts commission. They're going to release their report and what they found about critical race theory in North I Carolina know schools. Will. Headline next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be reading that. Uh, so next week, uh, U.S. Senate takes up a uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill. It'll be a big, big vote next week. Headline next week. I will be reading that report. Um, Senate, Senate Finance Committee passes medical marijuana bill, moves to the Health Care Committee. Uh, open question of whether it gets a vote on the Senate floor. What's your, what's your thoughts? I, I hope so. I mean, we've talked about uh, powerful rule chair Bill Wave and pushing this bill. Quickly, headline next week. Cuba Libre. Freedom for Cuba. I think it's <laughs> going to really bubble up. Okay, that's it for us. Thanks for watching. Great job, panel. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the lightning round provided by NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.